This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, as we continue in this sermon series, we'll be focusing on the words from Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for gathering us around your word. It is not an accident that we are hearing this message. You have set the very times and places where we would interact with you through your word. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, speak to our hearts through your word, and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your work. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this series, glad you asked, is all based on your questions that you submitted. And we're glad you asked them. But to be honest, I was a little surprised as to what were some of your most frequently asked questions. I I didn't guess, I didn't think that, that you would actually ask so many questions around this topic that we're talking about today on baptism. I was surprised that some of the the most frequently requested questions were on baptism. I guess I shouldn't be so surprised because Christians of different denominations have been really disputing and debating baptism for more than 500 years. And the debate around baptism is really around three basic questions. Number one, who can be baptized? Or who can baptize? So do you, have to be, do you have to be a priest to baptize somebody? Do you have to be a pastor to baptize somebody? Can you just be an everyday lay person to baptize someone? Who can baptize? That's the first question. Then the next question that people usually debate is, when can a person be baptized? Can they be baptized as an infant? Can they be baptized when they're five years old or 10 years old or 20 years old? Or do they have to wait till they're 30 years old like Jesus to be baptized? And then finally, how should we practice baptism? Do they need to be dunked all the way under the water? Or um, can they just have water applied to their head? How do you baptize? And so Christians have been debating baptism for, for 500 years And I'm going to say something that might surprise you. The reason that has been such a debate 
is there's not really one clear Bible verse that solves these problems. There's no clear, direct command from God that says, this is who is supposed to baptize. It has to be a priest, or it has to be a pastor, or it has to be a layperson. There's no specific command. There's no specific command as to when to baptize. There's no Bible verse that says you have to baptize infants, you have to baptize at five years old, you have to baptize at 10 or 20 years old. There's no command in the Bible on that. And there's no command in the Bible, you won't find a Bible verse that says you have to immerse or you have to sprinkle or you have to use this kind of water. There's no command. And so different denominations, Baptists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Catholics, they look at the scriptures and they all come to different conclusions based on some of these principles from their theology as to how to practice baptism. And so there's no way that I'm going to end all debates that have been going on for the last 500 plus years in a 20-minute sermon. And so if you are coming to this sermon saying, oh, we're talking about baptism, I'm finally going to get the one clear Bible verse so that when I have this debate with my other Christian friends from that other denomination, I can say this one clear logical thing and it's going to solve all of the tension between us. You're not going to find it. And as helpful as maybe those debates might be and searching the scriptures might be, I think there's a more important reason why you ask so many questions on baptism. See, all of us, we have a natural knowledge of God. And naturally, 100% of people know that there is a God. And we have this conscience that, that, that lets us know that there's something above us that's good and holy, that's designed a law that we're supposed to live by. And not one of us is pulling it off. That there's something inside of us that keeps dragging us back into selfishness and self-centeredness and self-absorption, really sin. And so we all have this question that the jailer at Philippi asked the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to get right with God? What must I do to become good again? What must I do to solve all of my problems? We all have this nagging feeling. That's what all the self-help books are about. That's what so much of psychology is about. It's this feeling that something's not right. What must I do to make myself right? What do I need to do to, to fix myself? Do I need to go to church? Do I need to become a member of a congregation? Do I need to say a certain kind of prayer? Do I need to give to a certain charity? Do I need to volunteer more? Do I need the right kind of job? Do I need the right kind of diet? Do I need the right kind of financial plan? What can I do to be right? What can I do to be saved? And I think that's what's really behind the question that you submitted. Do I need to be baptized to be saved? What do I need to do to be right with God? Is it baptism? Is that the linchpin? Is that what's going to fix my life? Is that what's going to make me right with God? Do I need to be baptized to be saved? Now, before we directly answer that question, I want to kind of walk through the history of baptism in the Bible and let you know how we got baptism today. The first time we run into the idea of baptism is in the opening chapters of the New Testament. 
in the gospels where John the Baptist is baptizing people. But John the Baptist didn't just invent baptism out of thin air. There was an Old Testament practice that went back 1,400 years before Jesus and John the Baptist in the time of Moses. In the time of Moses, Moses told the Israelites that especially the the Levites and the priests, they were to go through some kind of ceremonial washing before they entered into the temple. The temple was that place where God's presence dwelt. And there was this big water basin outside of the temple. And the the priests would go through a, a cleansing process before they entered into the temple. There was also uh, practices in the Old Testament if you touched a dead body or did something else that made you ceremonially unclean, unclean to participate in the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, you would go through a type of ceremonial washing. And so John the Baptist, it seems he took those ancient Jewish practices and he applied them to everyone. And he preached a message leading people to go out to a very important historical location. Do you remember where John the Baptist baptized people? At the Jordan River. Now, I don't know how much you know about this story, but what happened, again, 1,400 years before Jesus, the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery. And God led the people out through the work of Moses out of Egyptian slavery. And because of their disobedience, uh, they stayed in the the wilderness for 40 years. And then it was time for them to enter into the promised land. And they went through a kind of baptism. They went through the Jordan River. Just like God parted the Red Sea, God also parted the Jordan River. They passed through the waters of the Jordan River into the promised land. And they were supposed to be God's representatives, God's ambassadors, God's chosen people in the promised land. But if you know their story, they failed. They, they weren't God's representatives. They, they mixed with all of the pagan nations and followed the pagan practices and they ran the country into the ground. And so John the Baptist brings them back to that Jordan River and he says, let's do this all over again. Let's hit a restart button. And he said, we need to repent. We need to change our mind. We need to... to to confess our sins that we were not the representatives that God called us to be. Let's go back and be cleansed in the waters of the Jordan River and let's enter into the promised land again. And that was the first time there was a type of baptism going through the Jordan River. Well, Jesus validated John the Baptist's practice of baptism as he was baptized as well. And when Jesus came and approached John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. In other words, Jesus, you've never done anything wrong. You don't have sin. You don't need to be washed. You don't need to be renewed. You don't need to be cleansed. You don't need to start over. And Jesus says, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus wanted to stand in the place of sinners He wanted to associate with sinners. He wanted to stand in our place in the waters of baptism like every other sinner, even though he didn't have to. And not only that, his baptism kind of became his inauguration of his ministry, his ordination, his anointing. In fact, that's what the word Messiah or the Greek way of saying it, Christ actually means. He's the anointed one. 
And at, at his baptism, he was anointed, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit came on him in the form of a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And he started his ministry at age 30 at his baptism. And then after Jesus lived, died, and rose, he spoke his last words to his disciples, and he gave what we call the Great Commission, the vision statement for Christians throughout time. He said now this, he said uh, in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not just of Jews, but of all people now. How do you make a disciple? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So now Jesus was saying, this is not just some Jewish practice, and this is not just some practice that John the Baptist was doing. Now this is how we're going to make disciples to all nations. This is what we're going to do for everybody. We're going to baptize them in the name of the triune God, and then I want you to teach them to obey everything I have already taught you. And that's what the early Christians did. We learn about the early Christian church, how it spread and how it grew and what they did in the New Testament book, Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is the full name. And right away in the, the first sections of the Acts of the Apostles, we have the birthday of the Christian church called Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit, instead of just descending on the temple, God's presence now descended on people in flames of fire. And Peter stood up and he started preaching to the crowds and convicted them of their sin. Spoke very similar to, to how John the Baptist convicted the people of sin. And the people said, well, what should we do? We killed Jesus. What should we do? And Peter said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord God will call. And so Peter says, if you want to be a Christian, repent and be baptized. And they were. 3,000 people were baptized that day. 3,000 people became Christians. And this is what we see every time in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, wherever it's preached, people are also getting baptized. Um, Ethiopian eunuch is baptized by Philip. And then we hear Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is baptized, him and his whole family. And we hear Lydia is baptized. The apostle Paul, who at one time was a Christian persecutor, he persecuted the Christian church, he was baptized. And, and people, wherever the gospel is preached, they were also baptized. And that is the practice that has continued to this very day, fulfilling Jesus' command to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. That still doesn't necessarily answer our question, do I need to be baptized to be saved? Well, to answer that question, I want to go a little bit deeper into the reading I, I just read at the, the beginning from Titus chapter 3. The Apostle Paul mentored a man named Titus, and he wanted him to start Christian churches. And now he goes into explaining how baptism works. And this is what he says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. He says this, At one time... 
We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So Paul says, what I already said is that we know by nature things are not right with us. Our default setting is not to love everybody around us. Our default setting is not to be open to other people. Our default setting is selfishness and self-absorption and self-centeredness. That if you just let us go to to walk how we want to walk, and and that's why we do things like lock our doors, right? That's why we do things like lock our house. If we thought that everybody, their default setting is to love other people, we wouldn't do those things. And so God saw us in our selfishness, our self-absorption, and Paul says God did something. This is verse four. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, think about this at Christmas, he appeared on the scene, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God saved us. He had to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. Uh, The picture here is like a person drowning. Uh, uh, Someone who's drowning can't save themselves. They need to be rescued. Or maybe even better would be somebody who's gone unconscious. You know, they can't resuscitate themselves. They can't bring themselves back to life. They need to be rescued. And that's what we were doing. We could not rescue ourselves. And so God came on the scene and he saved us by his mercy. Mercy is a very specific word. Mercy is like when you, you, you feel sorry for someone. You see someone in a situation where they can't help themselves and your mercy for them, your love for them draws you uh, to do something about it. Uh, this is like if you see someone maybe on the side of the road that you think, oh, they, they need food, they need something. You have mercy for that person. You see a child who feels helpless and can't help themselves and you go and help that person. That's mercy. You're, you're drawn because of a sense of like almost pity or, or, or love for that person who is helpless. That's what God had for us. And how did he communicate that mercy to us? How does that mercy come into our lives? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He saved us through this washing of rebirth. He's talking about baptism. And he uses a very specific preposition, through He doesn't say he saved us because of baptism. We're saved because of Jesus. We're saved because of the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're saved because of something Jesus did, but that work of Jesus came to us through the washing of rebirth, through baptism. Maybe I could use this illustration if you had diabetes, and let's say you're, you're, you're in a situation where you're, you're diabetic and you're, you're really sick, what do you need? You need some insulin. Now that insulin, when it's applied, that insulin is what, is sa- what saves you, but usually that insulin has to come into your body through a syringe. 
And so you're saved because of the insulin through the syringe. If, let's say if you had any other kind of disease, you'd say, I'm saved because of the medicine through the syringe. The, the syringe was the vehicle, the means that that good news, that, that medicine came into my life. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to baptism. We're saved because of Jesus and that good news of Jesus comes into our lives through baptism, through the word. Also comes in through the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate today. We call those, there's the means of grace, the way through which God brings his grace to us. Now, is that the only way that God works? Well, no, just like there's many ways to bring medicine, but especially when it comes to insulin, the preferable way, the, 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 most, the, the quickest way, the most direct way is through the syringe. Same thing with God's grace. There's other ways that God's grace could come into your life, but the most direct way, the preferred way, the historical way is through baptism. But it's not the only way. We think about when Jesus was on the cross and there was someone next to him, the thief on the cross, who couldn't come down from the cross and get baptized, but, but that thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That thief was saved even though he wasn't baptized. And then we think about the thousands of believers that came to faith before baptism was introduced through John the Baptist. Maybe another way that we could look at this also is looking at baptism as the day of your adoption. If you or someone you know has been fostering a child and then they, they move to baptize the child, you know that that, that family loved that child while they were going through the fostering process. They loved that child the whole way. And finally, it was a time, and they maybe they even called that, that is my child, that is my son, that is my daughter. But then you have this day where you go to the court and you make your oath and you sign your papers and that is the official day of your adoption. That you can look back and say, I'm an adopted person, that, that my parents love me, that those are my parents because of that day of my adoption. And so I think that helps us answer our opening question. Do I need to be baptized to be saved? No. But God has given you baptism to comfort and confirm his covenant with you. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but why wouldn't you be baptized? This is the historical practice that Jesus commanded to his church. This is the normal way God has made Christians throughout history from the very beginning. This is, that, this is the way that God confirms and communicates and comforts you with this, this incredible means of grace, this incredible way to bring you into God's family through baptism. So do you have to be baptized to be saved? But no, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you receive the very means that God has decided to use to make Christians? And so if you're here and, and you're not baptized, here's today's take-home point. Get baptized. Get baptized. Why not? Why not receive this good news that, that God wants to give you? to adopt you into his family, to, to justify you, to apply what Jesus did on the cross to you personally. To let today be your adoption day. And then for those of you who are baptized, here's the take-home point. 
Let your baptism be a source of daily comfort. Just like that person can go back if they, they feel like, you know, I don't feel love today. I don't know if, you know, I don't know where I really belong, but they can go back to that day of their adoption and say, no, I know somebody who decided to choose me, who wanted me, who called me. They're my parents. They decided to do that. They love me. I belong to somebody. And we as Christians, you know, sometimes we feel, where do I belong? Am I loved? Maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I've screwed everything up. Maybe my parents, my heavenly father won't love me anymore. Maybe I've sinned too much. You can go back to your baptism and say, no, that's the day I was adopted into God's family. That's the day that that God communicated his grace to me. That's the day that I was made a forgiven, loved child of God. And so let your baptism be a daily source of comfort. That's how the apostle Paul talks about it. In Romans chapter 6, he says, you are buried with Christ in your baptism. You are connected to Christ in your baptism. You are buried with Christ in your baptism. And just as Jesus was raised to life, so you too live a new life. That you are all sons of daughters. All of you who are baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. That, that the Apostle Paul's always pointing back to baptism as the source of daily comfort. So why not us? And again, what I said today probably won't end the debate between you and your other Christian friends who have different ways of baptizing people, whether immersion or whether the different ages or whether different people are baptizing. But I hope that, that maybe sometimes we could move past just the debates and focus on making disciples. That there's got to be a point where we move past the debate and we actually just do what God says and we get baptized and we enjoy the benefits of baptism. And so here's what I really want to be ringing in your ears as you leave here. You are a forgiven, loved, adopted, baptized child of God. Let that be a source of daily comfort and relief. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for all of your gifts. But most importantly, especially today, we thank you for the gift of baptism. We can so easily go astray and wonder if you still call us your own. We can easily walk away and and wonder if you still love us. And so point us back to the day of our adoption. If there's anyone here who is not yet baptized, Lord God, open up doors and ways and a desire to be baptized and welcomed into God's family of believers officially. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.